Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revive Health's Daily Breathing Live for April 23rd, a 30-minute review of the latest, most important news, resources, and advice for health system marketers and communicators dealing with COVID-19. I'm Jeff Spear, your guest host for today and tomorrow's podcast. As always, we're joined by Chase Kleckner, Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. He makes everything happen. Hey, Chase, how you doing? Hey, Jeff. Good to see you. You too. Uh, today, we're also joined by Ryan Coliani. Ryan's a Senior Vice President, Issues Crisis Department Lead here at Revive Health and a frequent guest on the Daily Briefing Live. How you doing, Ryan? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming. And uh, today, we're going to talk to Ryan about... Um, as we get into things, kind of the next phase of what our communications teams have to be thinking about and um, issues we can manage to hopefully prevent the crisis is, is always our jobs. Uh, but before that, we'll cover a couple of things. So this is when I get to talk about our disclaimers and things. Um, as with each show, we'll plan on covering the latest news and how it relates to marketing communications. We're going to highlight some resources and share what we're seeing and hearing from Marcom professionals across the country. Ryan particularly has a lot of really good insights. He, he really is serving as a um, expert in the, the, um, the hub of the spokes across our agency, talking to everybody and many of our clients. Um, as we move through the show, please use the question queue in Zoom to line up your questions and we'll get to many of them as possible. You can also use the chat function to talk to other attendees, but please keep in mind if you'd like us to answer a question, use the question queue only also provided any relevant links in the chat uh, and you can access those immediately. Chase will be populating that chat uh, function throughout the show and of course if you have any questions later just check in with us. Finally uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes uh, search for Revive Health Daily Briefing Live. We'll also be posting recording the episode by the end of today on our communications hub www.thinkrevivehealth/covid19. Uh, for other content as well. Two more important notes. We are not experts on COVID-19, so this is not a place to cover medical or scientific advice or resources. And uh, we do have opinions, lots of them, on how you might want to manage this crisis. But everyone's situation is unique. Um, and in the end, we know you got to make the decisions that are best for you. All right, let's begin. I think I hit them all, right, Chase? You got them. Nice work. Yeah, bar, the bar for me is low. All right, <laughs> here we go. Um, we always start with uh, the latest count in using the Johns Hopkins tool um, to see how the crisis is growing and hopefully receding. So um, today, as of right now, Johns Hopkins tool says we're at uh, across the globe 2,665,000 cases confirmed. And in the US, that's 843,981. Uh, total deaths are at 46,972. Um, and we have now conducted four, almost 4.5 million tests in the US, uh, which we know is really, really important um, and we need to have more. The, the daily cases, uh, looking at a tool, does seem to be declining slightly but there's some peaks and valleys in there in March and uh, we know every region is different. So just sharing that, keep things in perspective for us as we, we talk about marketing communications, we know it's important, but the, the context in which we're living is more important. 
Okay, um, let's talk about uh, some daily news today and some things that are that are on our minds. Uh, we, Chase, Orion, and I have been talking about um, several different things over the past couple of days, but one thing that, that is now getting to uh, national news and regional news certainly is states starting to open things up. Uh, Tennessee is, uh, Georgia is, Louisiana is thinking about it. Um, and part of that is important part of keeping things hopefully somewhat controlled is contract contact tracing. Uh, we saw a couple articles today. Ryan, you mentioned a couple about some of the technology and tools that might be available for states um, in contact tracing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure folks on on the call here have, have seen some of the the new coverage out in the last week or two um, that pointed to uh, you know Google and Apple combining forces on potential contact tracing technologies. Um, there was a new article out today that Microsoft is actually partnering uh, with the University of Washington Medical Center um, on an app, and essentially, kind of how these apps will work is you opt in, you share if you have. Uh, tested positive for COVID, and then they'll use Bluetooth technology to alert others uh, to determine if you have been in contact with that person who tested positive. Um, and so knowing how important contact tracing is going to be until we have a vaccine, um, this is incredibly relevant um, for health systems and, and kind of how they communicate about these apps. And there's also, of course, the human element. Every state is now trying to figure out how they ramp up their human contact tracers um, and public health departments in most states are not not equipped to do this as is they've got to hire people uh, in in really um, I think there's a couple things to think about there but um, one of them certainly is well what is the role of a health system right now as it relates to contact tracing and supporting that. What do you think, Ryan? What things come to, to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that we can go to, both on the physical contact tracing as well as kind of the apps. Um, on the physical side, you know, obviously given the financial strain that a lot of health systems have faced over the last couple of months given COVID, is there an opportunity to partner with state uh, public health organizations and health agencies to uh, share some of those employees that may be furloughed right now, may not be getting the hours that they typically expect to kind of be some of those physical contact tracers. Um, have them be the ones to ask the questions. They're already well-versed in the healthcare system um, and that ultimately could be an opportunity. Um, on the app side, um, you know, when we first, when COVID first approached, um, you know, a lot of health systems were repositioning uh, their existing creative buys to, to focus more on how the public needs to stay safe, things like washing hands, uh, social distancing, right. those types of things. I could easily see health systems transitioning some of that PSA style uh, approaches to talk about the need for uh, the general public to opt in and use these contact tracing apps to help flatten the curve and, and lower the, you know, the death rate and the infection rate. That's interesting because there's, there's, there's a part of that where as a health system now, you're advocating for somebody to give up a little bit of their privacy, depending on the state, um, but maybe not. I think everywhere that could be a sensitive topic, but some states and some regions may be more sensitive. So every communication team's nearly dissect that carefully and come up with the right messages and make sure that their teams understand 
the technology um, and the privacy issues. You'd said earlier that um, that privacy supposedly is kept on the device. Is that right? On at least some apps. Yeah, it seems like it seems like most of the apps are keeping it on the device and aren't going back to the developer like Google or Apple or Microsoft. So hopefully those will alleviate some of the concerns that that you're talking about. Um, and and I think you're absolutely right. We, you know, just as we we talk about the importance of HIPAA across health systems, um, you know, I think talking to our employees and to our patients about how important privacy is will be important. Um, but I think there's also an opportunity to talk to people about how they can do their part to help uh, lower the curve, how everybody still has a role um, in, in solving this crisis, and this could be a way to do it. Um, so it may not be a fit for every health system, and it probably needs to wait a little bit until the technology is is really ready to go since these apps are, you know, the Microsoft one, I think it's just launched today. Um, so we still have a little bit more time to see, you know, where people may uh, use them and how they will use them, um, but it's something to start planning for from a health system uh, marketing perspective. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, the other element that it's really important to think about is how can you support your local public health department in contact tracing? Um, on those campaigns, the PSL style campaigns, are you working with your public health department to say, how can people be more aware even before they know they have the virus so that if they do get the virus, they can provide the right information to people? That might be part of it. Just maybe it's simple daily tracing of your activities at the little journal, or maybe um, it's just in making sure that you contact somebody right away. The other part of that, I think, is most health systems um, in the country, there, there isn't a great connection with state health departments. I'm sure right now they're working more closely together than ever. But if you're not doing that, really establishing relationships and connections for public communication and operational things. Um, what can your staff be doing to support all the new contact tracers that are going to be hired and really needing and required to develop relationships with consumers in order to gain their trust so that they, they can understand who they've talked to and what they've been doing. Those are skills and uh, techniques that most nurses and healthcare workers have learned and are really, really good at and may possibly be able to support, as Ryan said earlier, support public health departments or at least help give them some intelligence and training. Well, that I think is a really good example of what we wanted to spend most of today talking with Ryan about in the episode, which is, okay, maybe a lot of our listeners have gotten through a four to six weeks kind of crisis. It is absolutely a crisis and might be taking a breath now as, as we all should. I, I know that uh, everybody's kind of feeling this is six weeks will be tomorrow for me for being at home in the pandemic. Um, and there's definitely a breath that it's getting taken. But on the business and what we're doing in our jobs, things are starting to maybe feel like in some areas, there isn't going to be a surge where you're not going to have capacity. Maybe the PPE situation in your hospital is, is fine now. And it's natural to want to take a breath. But what should, what should our, our listeners be doing when during this time. So Ryan's here to really talk through some of the things that, that our issues crisis team and he have been seeing what's ahead and what we should be thinking about. Yeah. So, so kind of the first one that we're, we're seeing is obviously as, as Jeff just mentioned, you know, 
most health systems or all health systems just went through or in the middle of the most significant health crisis that they've faced in their lifetimes and hopefully will ever face um, again. And so one thing that we're working closely with health systems on are kind of taking stock of how we perform from a communications and marketing perspective um, within this first wave. Um, so reviewing crisis playbooks, um, making revisions, conducting assessments to determine, you know, how, how well did we respond? You know, what worked, um, what didn't, and what should be enhanced? Um, you know, where did bottlenecks and approvals occur? Um, where did we miss from a response perspective? It's critical to do this um, in the moments after you've gone through the crisis so that it's fresh and that so you really have kind of an honest assessment. Um, and for some health systems, they may only have operational crisis playbooks. And this ultimately is an opportunity to think through what does a communications crisis playbook look like in advance of potentially a wave two or heaven forbid a wave three. Um, so that helps kind of ensure that leadership know what roles they're supposed to play. It helps uh, ensure that the communications and marketing teams knows exactly what role they're going to play and so that we can rapidly respond to the various issues that may be arising as part of wave, uh, as part of the end of, of wave one, but also into potentially wave two in the fall. There are multiple things that, that um, come to mind right now on, in that playbook that you'd have you'd want to examine to see how you did and what adjustments to make because if you hopefully you have a playbook um but if you don't you need one it it short changes things it makes decision making much faster uh and right now it'll be so effective to create those scenarios and decision trees um for wave two but there are other things like how did you do when it came to communicating with supply chain management and operations? Or did your team know um, how to media train somebody and who the spokespeople were and having guidelines and talking points drafted? Um, and then for, for some teams, if you had to have anybody that was on PTO or layoff or furloughed, unfortunately, how are roles assigned within the departments and how interchangeable are they? So always having possibly some backups. Um, it can be complicated, but now is definitely the time to, to get those things down. Um, yeah. Let's think, think about that. It's absolutely critical. Sorry, Jeff, think, yeah. Uh, this is absolutely critical to the role side that you mentioned um, with, with staff that are coming in and out given the current environment. Um, to not be reliant on a specific individual and that everybody understands what their roles are going to play um, in advance of when this next you know, bump may occur. Um, you don't have a crisis playbook to pull it out in the middle of a crisis and turn to page 46 and um, you know, address it. It only works when the staff understand how it's supposed to work and are able to use it um, accordingly. So it's, it's something to think through uh, and prepare for the next uh, uh, phase of this. I I think uh, our guest a couple of weeks ago, I don't think it was last week, two weeks ago, Steve Taliano, who's head of marketing, communications, and public affairs at UC Davis Health. He had one, for example, tip that I thought was really smart, which is on his team, he had two people assigned specifically not to be doing anything related to the crisis and instead focused on positive stories or other stories and, and news that needed to be told and managed um because that way not everything is consumed by the crisis and you're still telling people other things that are important and sharing positive stories so that might be something yeah, for can't, people you to can't incorporate. stop the good work yeah yeah can't can't stop the good work that's happening across your health system and, and just only focus on that that's 
you know, that's something that we focus on before COVID with our clients as well. Like the business still needs to be operating and you still need to be sharing from a marketing communications perspective. So I think that's spot on from Steve. Let's talk um, about the next couple of weeks. We, we've got maybe some, many systems in the next two weeks will be opening their doors to more patients. Uh, it could be at an ambulatory surgery center. It could be at the actual hospital as well. Um, maybe some, some clinics. Um, what kinds of things should communications professionals now be prepared for in this scenario? Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about how rapid recovery is going to be needed from the financial side of the house to ensure that health systems are, are stable and able to kind of resume the, the volume that they need to survive longer term. Um, but we also know that consumers are going to be hesitant to enter their walls um, and, the cons and that employees that may not have been on the front lines addressing COVID may be fearful, may need to learn new policies and procedures and those types of things. Um, and so we're hearing from a lot of health systems about how they're kind of working to communicate with both internal and external audiences about how they're going to keep people safe and what new protocols are going to be in place. Some health systems are looking at some really, really um, big pieces, but they're also, you know, narrowing it down to the very, very small logistical pieces, like how many people are going to be permitted in an elevator? Um, you know, how many people are going to be in an employee break room? How are we going to operate our cafeteria and food service for, for patients or in, right. for visitors? Um, and so how we communicate about those either changes or new processes or protocols is critical, both when they're already inside our walls, but in an ideal world where we're reaching them in advance of them entering the system. So let's just talk about that. The last thing you said, which is wayfinding and internal signage and the experience side. That is, if you're at a large health system, massive footprint massive real estate, lots of elevators, lots of cafeterias, lots of hallways. That, that's a lot of signs. Yeah, it's, and it's expensive. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be spending a lot on printing costs and it logistically just to get those up um, are going to be, uh, is going to be a challenge. So I think working closely from a communications perspective and from a marketing perspective with your operational staff as early as possible just as we're having conversations with clients about the rapid recovery approach, we need to be having those conversations about how we're going to be communicating about specific changes that people should be ex expecting, especially as you mentioned, Jeff, that you know, systems may be reopening in the next couple of days or may already be reopening or, or in the next couple of weeks. Um, and so how we can make sure that there's no confusion that we're, sh we're trying to practice social distancing as much as possible once people are inside our hospitals, however realistic that is going to be. Um, so that we can try to regain the trust of the general public that it's safe to come in for a procedure and, and to, to receive care. What, what about employees uh, switching over now, um, Ryan? We've just gone through this period of time where nurses, for example, have been um, just at the forefront, at least some nurses, of the most dire and difficult aspects of this and really a source of information for everybody to know what's happening and what needs to change or they or what is so difficult. I, I, th I think about the nurses that have to wear N95 mask as soon as they get on the shift and they don't take it off for 12 hours um, and how thinking about wearing a mask for 12 hours no matter what you're doing could be hard. But now we've got another wave of employees that'll probably be coming on the scene. What do we need to think about for those employees? 
yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's the training piece for those that may not be as familiar with, you know, mask use or some of the PPE requirements that may be required in, you know, a different service line that hasn't been used to it, whether that's a pediatric uh, nurse or something along those lines. Jeff mentioned that when we talked earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, using those that have been on the front line to uh, share kind of their, ex- you know, their experience and how important it is, but also, you know, maybe it's, it, it might be a little thing like how, you know, how did they kind of get used to wearing a mask for 12 straight hours when they may not have had to do that? You know, what type of short form videos can we be pulling together to share that um, with uh, internal stakeholders on internet yeah. and those types of places? Um, and so kind of showing, showing, being as open as possible about what to expect so that the expectations are managed before someone shows up to work and has to deal with that on a daily basis. I like that. And the expectations I think I would consider having a nurse that's maybe in a ICU in a COVID unit share a video on what they can, what other people might need to experience and understand, um, so that they they can address some of the the concerns directly. Um, the other thing that I think coming the next couple of weeks, hopefully, and if it's not in your region definitely worth talking to your operational leaders and your public health department is, is the need to get people vaccinated. Uh, the vaccinations have been delayed and put off because they've been told, of course, stay away for non-urgent reasons. But um, vaccinations are, are one of those things that we're going to feel in the next two, three, four, five, six, eight, twelve 12 months if people don't get them. Um, yeah, the impact that that has from a public health perspective long-term as well. Um, do we have outbreaks of, of measles or other areas um, or other diseases as a result? Um, and so I think that that's something that we definitely should be thinking about um, and finding ways to show um, the general public why it's needed um, and what to expect when they enter a hospital to, you know, to have their child or themselves receive a vaccine. So I think for health systems to consider a few things there. Are they going to have drive-through clinic, drive-through testing, or excuse me, drive-through vaccination possibly, um, the communication then to patients about that, or if it, if it is coming in, encouraging people, which maybe primary care, pediatric, you don't generally have to do that. People are pretty on top of stuff. So you may need to encourage people to come in. And of course, as we said earlier, really reinforce how them and their children are going to be safe. I, I read um, an example of one health system that they're doing well baby visits at a comp- and just in the afternoon. And if you're sick, it's in the morning so that they're desanitizing everything um, or sanitizing everything in between. So really, uh, that's a different way of cohorting patients. Okay, so another trend, Ryan, um, that that we have to be thinking about um, and possibly preparing for a little longer term, possibly, but still around the corner and, and something for the comms leaders to think about mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a big topic. Um, and we already had seen over the last couple of years, kind of the M&A activity in, in the health system space increasing at a pretty rapid pace. It was down a little bit um, at the start of this year and at the end of last year. Um, but I think, you know, this is only going to uh, increase that type of activity, uh, given the financial strain that a lot of the smaller health systems are facing. Um, ultimately, it may not be possible for them to either uh, return to operations as they were pre-COVID um, or even exist, and particularly in some rural communities. 
Um, so we're, we're hearing from some health systems that had delayed M&A activity um, mm. prior to co or af after COVID hit um, um, that they're ramping it back up and starting to prepare for potential announcements. Um, but we're also seeing some health systems nationally um, that are publicly pausing um, previously announced M&A activity. Um, so mergers that were previously LOIs were signed. Um, they may be delaying the due diligence phase to see how COVID ultimately impacts their bottom line um, later on this year, potentially into next. Um, and then finally, we've heard from some other uh, health systems that are on stronger financial footing than, than others that may be using this as an opportunity to, um, to expand and to grow their M&A activity um, than they may have previously prepared for uh, in advance of COVID. Um, so how do we consider that from a communications and marketing perspective? You know, resumption of, of previously planned M&A activity um, in the COVID environment has to be done very delicately. Um, it can't reduce the health system's ability to address the current challenges. Um, it has to be something that is announced or talked about um, once um, systems are returning to normal um, or that mm. the impact is not as significant in their individual markets. Um, and then from a, from a reputational perspective, um, if you are the acquiring uh, system, decisions to furlough or cut salaries can be a reputational risk. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, are going to lead to some really tough questions if you had to furlough a significant portion of your staff or ask a significant portion of your staff to take pay cuts, why or where this money is coming from to uh, make a specific acquisition. Um, so those are, those are some of the key considerations that we're working through, both from a, from a timing perspective, when's the right time. Um, we're seeing some systems that may be looking um, at this kind of lull after we get through wave one uh, before wave two comes in the fall to potentially announce some uh, activity. Um, and then also considering kind of the reputational impact that may occur from internal stakeholders and external stakeholders based on how the system responded to COVID. It just seems like another example of um, you have to examine everything from this point on differently. Even if you've done M&A before and even if you happen to have a, a solid playbook there, um, if you're a, a larger system that's done this, it's not business as usual. No. And yeah, I mean, everything, everything you're right has to be looked at in that lens. Um, the tail on even once we have a vaccine is going to be long on this. Um, and if people are still going to be thinking about how uh, a system responded uh, during the pandemic um, to evaluate whether they trust the system for their personal care or the health care of others. Um, and it certainly feeds into the M&A discussion as well on um, how acquiring or, or acquiree organizations are going to feel um, based on how the acquiring organization handled COVID as well. Yeah, and if, if you are at a, a larger health system that maybe you think you might be a acquirer and, and you're a communications leader, now is the time to think through how are you using some of the positive sentiment about your system and capturing that, maintaining that, and developing a strong public narrative about the leadership and your contributions in your region and community and, and making that real and tangible. Talk to your operational leaders, talk to others, and figure out how to carry that momentum into the future that will really build that goodwill and strong reputation you need so that when you do make moves like, a, like an acquisition or a merger of some kind, um, those are received in, in a positive light. 
Yeah, we always talk about, you know, how, how important key stakeholder groups when you have a major announcement on the M&A side. And you don't build those relationships in a week before an announcement or even a month before an announcement. Yeah. Um, th that work needs to happen. That happens over years. And it's just the same as what we talked about with what Steve from UC Davis talked about is the need to, to share those good stories and build that goodwill in advance of something. That is ultimately the, the reputational insulator. You know, you're going to insulate yourself from criticism if you've done the right things in advance of a crisis occurring. Yeah. So with that, I think uh, summing up today's, today's session, uh, take that breath, breathe in, exhale, but now get some part of your team uh, and yourself thinking about these things and what's next and make a plan. Um, start writing messages and materials, start talking to your leaders about where their position stands and setting deadlines for um, getting the information you need to act and have your team prepared and your organization prepared. Think about if there's new relationships in the community you might need to make or um, strengthen and, and get ready. Um, our jobs don't stop and we're here really to help you think about what's next so that when what's next hits, you're more prepared and able to move faster and more effectively. That's it for today's show. Ryan, thank you again for joining us. Always good to talk Happy to you. to do you. it anytime. And yep. uh, Chase, thank you for having me on again. And thanks for making it easy as always. Absolutely. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Um, for everyone else on the show listening, please let us know if there's something you'd like to cover. Um, posting in the Zoom chat or emailing Chase um, or Revive Health somehow. Uh, remember to visit Think Health thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19 for recording of today's episode and all of our contents there. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Um, please let others know in your organization and your teams that um, might benefit from the podcast, particularly now that we're getting to, to some of the things we talked about today. I think the more people on your teams that, that listen and understand this can really jump in and help faster. Um, and to all of you out there, hang in there, keep up the amazing work. Skills you bring as marketers and communicators are really critical in getting through this and, and really helping uh, with your team, your organization, and your community uh, get through this as, as well as we possibly can. So we'll be back tomorrow and every weekday until this passes. Talk to you then.